All right, everybody, settle down, settle down. Good morning. Merry Christmas. I'm sure that everyone went to bed early, got up late. Anticipation and excitement was at an all-time low in y'all's houses. But it is great to be with you all this Christmas morning. Um, this is a bit of a milestone year for me in the fact that the Lord has sustained me in a way that I was able to attend every Sunday here. And most of that's also a big thank you because my wife watched Sick Children. But I see again the importance of weekly fellowship with you all to God as a body and that it would be more sustained as we go through 2023 as we gather here together. It's been a, you know, the past several months I told our Sunday school class has been an increasing joy of mine just the fellowship with especially those people but with everybody too as we're growing in love for God, love for one another, experiencing that joy as fellow believers, and it's just a great picture of what the body of Christ can and should look like. So as we end the year, just a big thank you to you all. A book I read, I think I mentioned this before, is when talking about um, God's people, he said, I love them in part because they help me love Jesus more every day. So I want to thank you all for that as we, we round out the year. So today, obviously Christmas Christmas morning, the reason we are here celebrating is that God came to be with his people and to save us. So if you got your Bibles, we will mostly be, mostly today be in the, the book of Matthew. We're going to jump around. I'll probably go fast on some of that stuff, so bear with me as we go, go through all that. But the Bible, in a roundabout way, the shorthand way, is about Jesus. And when we read the Bible, and especially in the four Gospels, which will being mostly today, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see a Savior born to a Virgin Mary. We see his life, his ministry, we see his death, and ultimately his resurrection. So based on scriptures, two conclusions can be made about Jesus, all right? So the first one is, either he is who he claimed to be, that is the Christ, the Son of God, and the Son of Man, or he is a liar, and why are we here celebrating his birth? Why are we here every Sunday? I've said it before, if it wasn't for Jesus, this would be the weirdest social club that we have here on Fifth Street, <laughs> all right? So the question to ask yourself is one that was asked years ago in Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 through 23, so Matthew 12. Starting on verse 22, it says, then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute, was brought to him, and he, he being Jesus, healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? We think about this, what they're really asking, is this the promised seed from the line of David that was promised in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 through 16, and it reads, when your days are fulfilled, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So at the end of this sermon on Christmas Day, I want you all to ask yourself, is this Jesus born over 2,000 years ago, the one person 
in the history of people that we count time by before they were born and after they were born, is this the promised son of David, the Christ, the son of God that came to save the people from their sins? All right, so we may say, okay, if he's either the Christ or a liar, let's, let's see some proof. Let's see some things about what the Bible says. Now, the Bible is full of verses on the folly of man, chasing after wrong wisdom, and leaning on your own understanding. So believing in Christ does take faith granted to you by the Holy Spirit. But there are some things that we can look at. So starting out, if we look through the Old Testament, we see that Jesus fulfills over 320 prophecies. And we will go through them all individually now. I'm just, <laughs> just joking. So. Merry Christmas. We're going to be here a while, right? All right, so over 300 prophecies made about him, okay? So the odds are not in anyone else's favor to ever do that, like, ever again, okay? One person could do all those. So certain promises fulfilled in, in Jesus' ministry, as he, certain promises fulfilled in Jesus' ministry are mentioned a lot by him and in the four Gospels. And this should have verified to the Jewish people of the time who knew the scriptures that he was, in fact, the promised son of David, but that didn't always convince certain religious leaders of the time. So you also see and verify that Jesus was, in fact, a son of David through his genealogy that's mentioned in multiple or different formats in the Gospels, okay? So in Luke, it lists his genealogy from Jesus to Adam, you know, that Adam, Adam and Eve, the first guy, where in the book of Matthew, it lists it out, lists it out in a, a slightly different format. Now, I'd love to nerd out and examine both of these one day, but essentially they both point and show that Jesus being a son of David. Now, you may be wearing in your pews, being like, Andrew, it's Christmas, a little tired, instead of a history lesson, maybe a little feel good about baby Jesus, and we can, we can get back to the eggnog. But I want to impress upon you how the importance of Jesus being who he is, was, and how that impacts everything about your life today. Katie and I started, I guess, taking over youth group about a year and a half ago. And so we're starting out, I was trying to think about like what things we should go through. I was like, well, let's just start with Matthew. We'll go through there. So like the first one I did was on the genealogy of Jesus. And looking back, I was like, it probably like, it wasn't like the most catching, most charismatic thing I could probably do. But I'm like, we're going to be talking about Jesus. They're going to be coming to my house. We're going to be feeding them. Like, they're going to be hearing about Jesus and in the format that's most simple in the Bible. So I hope it went well. There's continue to be kids come, so there's that. So we're going to read the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1, verse 1 through 17. So who's ready to hear me trip over some Old Testament names? All right, here we go. Matthew 1, verse 1. <clears throat> The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashim, and Nashim the father of Solomon. Solomon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. 
and Solomon, the father of Rehobim, and Rehobim, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of deportation of Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel, and Sheltiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiad, and Abiad, the father of Elakim, and Elakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Akim, and Akim, the father of Eliad, and Eliad, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Matan, and Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Amen? So I want us to, to not skip over the details of a good genealogy. Now, if you've read through like other genealogies in the Bible or like numbers and the census verses, it can be easy to like, I'm just going to gloss over these, get my daily reading out of the way. It's easy to gloss over them, but all scripture is breathed out and useful for teaching. So the genealogy in Matthew is structured in a way that accounts 14 generations from each major section in the genealogy. Now, this was a Jewish practice of giving a name like David, a numerical value, so that's where the 14 comes from. But in this genealogy, we see some familiar names, and it gives us a glimpse into the type of people that Jesus has come to save. Uh, in this list, notably, are five women. So Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. So Rahab had a questionable profession, and like Ruth, was a Gentile. Tamar and Bathsheba weren't exactly ladies of the most honest or utmost character. And really, like us, the men listed were sinful people that God used to accomplish his will. But we see in this picture in the genealogy, the kings, the rulers, the great people, accomplished sinners, Jews and Gentiles, in the line of Jesus that reflect the type of people that they came into this world to save from their sins. So we have the prophecies of the line of Jesus. We have the prophecy of the line of Jesus that he would come from. In that line, you could say, well, aren't there lots of sons of David in this line? But we end the genealogy with the Virgin Mary and the virgin birth is important as told in Isaiah 7:14. It reads, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And this fact separates Jesus from all the other sons of David. In Luke chapter 1, it lays out the virgin birth, uh, you know, how it's possible, and it answers some logistical questions for us. So in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, it starts, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And this virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled 
at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom and of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. All right, so let's break, break this down a little bit from, from scriptures. Jesus is, as seen from multiple documented lineages, the son of David. And as the angel tells Mary, as the angel tells Joseph, will tell the shepherds, will tell the wise men that this is the son of God, the promised savior that will bring salvation to all people. So, if that's the case, then what is said about Jesus in the gospels and what Jesus says about himself matter greatly in your life today. So it matters what the Bible says about Jesus. It matters when John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus. It matters when Jesus calls the disciples to follow him and they immediately leave their jobs. It matters when he says to love those who persecute you. It matters when Jesus says, what good is it for man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? It matters when he says, don't be anxious about anything, that God loves you and will care for you. It matters when he preaches with authority that astonishes people. It matters when he calms the storm with his voice. It matters when he says the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached of them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. It matters when he says persecution is coming. It matters when he says, come to me and I will give you rest. It matters when he says a tree is known by its fruit. It matters when he teaches in parables. It matters when he feeds the 5,000 and walks on water. It matters when he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And it matters when Jesus says that he came to serve and not be served. But if we stop there and only look at this part of Jesus' ministry, like, no one would really have much of a problem with it, right? We could say, like, like wow, this dude born, like, 2,000 years ago did some amazing things. Like, he healed a bunch of people, made some food, and as some religions say about Jesus, that he was a good teacher, but if, he's, but if he's just a good teacher, you can just pick and choose what you want to believe about him. And if he's only a good teacher, then he lies about a lot of other stuff, and then is he really good? But as we see in the Gospels, the big issues that the Pharisees and others had with Jesus was that he claims, about the claims that he made about being God. So remember what the angel told Mary, he will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, the issues they had with Jesus that all sinful people have today is recognizing Jesus as the son of David and the son of God. Because if Jesus is part of the triune God, then everything he says and every prophecy fulfilled matters to your life. So the claims that Jesus make about being the son of God matter. So church, it matters when after being baptized by John the Baptist, a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. It matters when Jesus says he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. It matters when Jesus says that he is greater than Jonah. It matters when Jesus says, I am at my father's house when he's teaching in the temple. It matters when he says, I am the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the father except through me. It matters when Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. It matters when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. 
he who believes, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? It matters when Jesus says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was ever born, I am. It matters when Jesus said, I and the Father are one. It matters when he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. It matters when he says, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It matters when he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It matters when he showed his full glory during the transfiguration. And it matters when Jesus says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. So, if Jesus is the son of David, if he is God, who he claimed to be, then the question has to come to our mind as to why. So why would a perfect God, the perfect, all-powerful deity, and as John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was made in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Saying basically that Jesus always was. So why did he come? At the beginning of Matthew, the angel says to Joseph, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. Luke 19.10 also says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So what are the sins that we need saving from? The Bible says we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says our sins have separated us from God. The Bible says our the Bible lists a wide range of things in God's holy law that we can't follow, be it the Ten Commandments, sexual sins, even issues of the heart that Jesus confronts. And each sin we commit continues to show that God is holy and we are not, and that our sin has taken us away from fellowship with God and eternal rest and peace with him. That doesn't sound too hopeful, does it? But God, being rich in mercy, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ came to this world to seek and to save the lost, and he did this by paying our debt, by dying on the cross for our sins, was raised three days later as payment now and forever. But people then and now reject Jesus because they couldn't accept that they were so bad that Christ crucified was the only way for their salvation. Katie and I like to watch um, Billy Graham Instagram reels with Otto a lot. He makes sure we he makes sure that we like everyone we see. Uh, and one Billy Graham stated that people have a problem not with Jesus as much as they do with the crucified Christ. And we see in the Bible how even those around him tried to talk Jesus out of his purpose for coming. In Matthew 16, verses 21 through 23, Matthew 16, it says, verse 21 reads, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chiefs and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So what Jesus is telling them is that this is the will of God, that he so loves us that he sent his son to save the people of their sins, and nothing will stop the will of God. And so, as promised, as prophesied, Jesus went and died on the cross and rose three days later. 
In Mark 14, it reads, verse 64, it says, You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him, him being Jesus, as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and cover his face and to strike him, saying, Prophecy. And the guards received him with blows. And when Jesus died, he said, It is finished. So to believe in Christ and what he says for our lives, we have to follow him. As we can do in our own lives, and really has been pushed by people, we often minimize what it means to follow Jesus. But Jesus gives us a clear outline of what following him looks like. Jesus says we will be hated and persecuted for following him. Jesus says we are <clears throat> to do the will of his Father. Jesus says we are to deny ourselves. Jesus says unless you repent, you will perish. And Jesus says we are to take up our cross and follow him. In short, all aspects of our lives are to be handed over to Christ as followers of him. We see in the Bible people unwilling to follow Christ fully. You think of the rich young ruler. When he asked Jesus what must he do to have eternal life, Jesus points out to what the man loves most and tells him to get rid of it. All things in our heart that we would want most, be it success, family, status, safety, we must hand over to God so he can be glorified most in our lives. But what if we don't? What if we don't trust in Christ for our salvation? What if you don't believe that this is the son of David and the son of God? Jesus has strong warnings against that in Matthew 13. Matthew 13, verse 41, it says, The Son of Man will send his angels. They will gather out his kingdom, all causes of sin, and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So what Jesus is saying is that living a life apart from him will only end badly for you. And those that are his will go to heaven, and those that aren't will spend eternity in hell. Matthew 7 has what I believe to be the most daunting warning Jesus gives. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So when we die, the Bible says we will face God. We need to either be covered by the blood of Jesus and counted as righteous or thrown into hell to spend eternity apart from God. And my fear is that many loved ones, many friends, and churchgoers will face that day thinking they will get into heaven because they grew up in a church, occasionally obeyed God, prayed a prayer, were confirmed, went to church when it was convenient, shared a Bible verse on Facebook, but their lives did not reflect someone who was called out of darkness. And what I'm not saying is that works save you, but as Jesus says, if we love him, we will keep his commandments. So I call you today to repent of your sins, to turn to Christ, be made new, and follow him. I did lay out a few, I guess you'd call them intellectual arguments, as to why Jesus is the son of David and the son of God. But you can't come to faith without the help of the Holy Spirit. So I hope those that aren't saved are overwhelmed by their sin and see the free gift of salvation that Jesus offers. If that's you, I'd be happy to spend Christmas Day walking you through what it means to follow Christ. But being Christmas and celebrating the birth of Christ, I want to look back on, at what people experienced that night. In Luke chapter 2, it lays out what the shepherds saw on the wonderful night when God came to us. It reads, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping walk, watch over their flock by night. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's a hard thing to imagine what they saw as the glory of God filled the sky to announce the wonderful news of the Savior's birth. So it matters that Christ was promised to come. It matters that, we was, that he was born to a virgin. It matters that Christ is the Son of God and Son of Man. It matters that he taught us how to live. It matters that all sins separate us from God. It matters that he died on the cross and rose three days later. And it matters how we receive that good news. It matters that we have to be born again. It matters that Jesus said we would see heaven or hell when we die. And it matters that he promised to one day come again for his people. In John 8, 12, it says, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So I ask you, is this the son of David? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for coming to be with your people. Thank you for saving us for our, from our sins. We're thankful that you came all those years ago. We're thankful for the, the prophecies made about you, the, the promises fulfilled, and the promises that we, have, we will experience and are experiencing in our lives. We're thankful that no sin was great enough to separate us from you, but that we can have fellowship back to the Father through Jesus Christ, the Son. We're thankful for his death and his resurrection, and on this Christmas day, we would remember and be joyful that God came to be with us. We praise in Jesus' name.